what we are able to do is we're able to go out there and, and, and look at this piece in terms of, okay, we see you know, innovation happening within companies and it's not just happening uh, on you know, in the boardroom anymore, it's happening within tech stacks. And the CTOs are now having a lot more decision power in terms of what comes within infrastructure. Welcome to The Insiders, a podcast on the latest advancements, challenges, and successes in innovation and technology. With industry leaders sharing their personal stories, we humanize the world of innovation and inspire listeners to push their boundaries and celebrate real humans shaping our collective future. Well, Good morning and welcome to the Insiders Podcast. I'm Mark Lowe, head of KPMG Ignition here in Vancouver, and very excited to have Jayesh Parmar with us today. A um, little bit of intro on on, uh, on Jayesh. So your entrepreneurial journey started in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. That's right. That's right. In the, in the, the mean prairies of Canada, <laughs> but you've risen through the ranks um, with some amazing success stories. Um, incubated startups in San Francisco, I believe. You've an alumnus of the Toronto, what's it, uh, Extreme Startups Program. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the Canadian Technology Accelerator of New York, uh, Vancouver's Hypergrowth Program, um, Picatick, now Gunky, all kinds of amazing stories. So very, very excited to have you here today. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for having me here, Mark. Excited to be here myself. Yeah, no, very, very excited for the conversation. Um, I mean, lots of stuff to, to cover today. Um, let's start in the beginning. So mm-hmm. explain to me growing up in Saskatoon. Just tell me tell me a little bit about that experience and, and what, what that was like. Well uh, shaped. Listen, I mean, first of all, for if you haven't been to Saskatoon, it's one of the you know, the, the prettiest, nicest cities that you could ever be, uh, be to, especially in the summer. Uh, the people there are, are genuine, they're authentic and they're and they're extremely kind. It was a it was a fantastic place to grow up. It gives you morals, values and ethics that you can only dream of. Um, and so that's where I started. I did my elementary school. I was born there. I went to high school, went to university, did my undergrad there. And, uh, and that's where I got my chops, if you will, in terms of, you know, starting business. Okay. But having said that, you didn't, you didn't go from university straight into startups, right? Do you, you were a teacher for Well, yeah. So that, yeah. So the, here's the background of it. I mean, I'm a first generation, uh, you know, Canadian, you know, my parents are, are, are immigrants and, you know, the mindset around that and being Indo-Canadian uh, was, you know, you're going to school. Right. There's no, there's no if, ands, or about it. You're going to university where, you know, that, that was your thing. And, and I respect that and I love it. And, um, you know, in my mind, it was like, I got effectively, you know, a, a bachelor's of business watching my parents, if you will. Uh, and so the idea was, is like, okay, if I'm going to go to school, I want to be a teacher. I, I want to be a phys ed teacher. Uh, and if I have to get my ticket, if you will. And, you know, I, I did, um, become a teacher for 12 years in, in, in a phys ed teacher, uh, to grade five, seven. Um, and it's the closest thing I'll ever become to a rock star. Uh, when you, <laughs> when you walk into a classroom and you're a phys ed teacher, the kids are excited to, to see you. Uh, and, a hundred percent it is. But at the same time, while I was in university, I started up my first business after, uh, while I was a teacher as well, I was starting up businesses. So I, I worked for 12 years as a teacher, but part-time I got an opportunity, uh, to, to run these businesses. It was a really unique experience where I had, you know, big foundational businesses and I would teach for, you know, a few hours a day. Um, and so that, that's, that was this little world. But in Saskatoon, uh, where it takes about 15 minutes to cross town, you were able to be able to, to do those things and have, have those hats on. 
But that strikes me. I mean, this is give us a sense of what era that was. Like, what 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 year was this? Oh, I'm dating. I'm dating myself now too. So, you know, I, while in university, and and I'll back up a little bit here. Is um, you know, I started my first business while in university, uh, and so we're going to 1997. So, it was like uh, early stages of the internet. Yeah, this is early stages of the internet. Um, and I was 20 years old. And again, it was entrepreneurs are are generally problem solvers. They see an opportunity, input A, output B, and you know, hopefully we can extrapolate some value uh, through that. At that time, the problem that I wanted to solve, and again, 20 years old, was. Uh, um, my best friend at the time, who now is, you know, uh, listed as one of the top uh, optometrists in BC. And so what at that time, BDC had a student business loan that they're putting out and 20 years old. So what we decided to do is apply for it, um, write a business plan, which effectively it was an essay because we didn't know how to do a business plan. And fast forward is we got $3,000. We went to the pawn shops. We bought a whole bunch of DJ equipment. We then uh, pitched uh, the university uh, paper and they did a full page spread and we went from making $50 a day at our part-time jobs to making $500 a night. Uh, and then that, you know, as I was in university, that went up and you know, we started putting on our own parties to making 5,000 a night. And we were kids, we were going to Hawaii and Mexico for holidays. Um, but that was a real first experience of really creating value and, in, you know, small enterprise value, if you will, but serving our needs. So that's, that's where that first business started. And, and that's kind of entwined with school. Um, so it's all intermingled and always has until a certain point where I, I did retire from teaching. Right. Yeah. At, at a certain point, you have to put that one on pause. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. So, how did that uh, that initial business then, which was boom? So, how did that uh, kind of create the spark for Eventbrite? Oh, sorry, not, not Eventbrite, Pick it Yeah, Eventbrite was the acquirer of it. So, it, it, you just it, evolution. I mean, as you start, and I think good entrepreneurs and good businesses, uh, they feel the pain. You know, it keeps them up at night, and they want to scratch that itch. Uh, in 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 my case. Uh, you know, we, we, we started putting on events and events. Now I'm, I'm really going to date myself here, Mark. And I, is this, it sounds a little bit weird for some people that are might listening to this, but there used to be a time where in order to put on an event, you used to give tickets, actual physical tickets to a record store and different businesses, local businesses, and they would sell them on your behalf. So it was really difficult to cash flow management, do any type of predictive, you know, modeling, um, in terms of how to put on these events, how many people are showing up, you know, how do we pay our vendors? And so the, the idea was, is that as these events started progressing and we started putting bigger events on, I wanted to scratch your own itch. And, and it, it, the thought came in, in 19, uh, or 2008, as we progress the businesses is, is um, we can use the web to do this. We can, we can sell it. Electronic tickets, which was um, which was an episode in itself yeah. from a conceptual standpoint. When we went to market, it was really tough for people to wrap their heads around it at so the beginning. That, again, there's behavior change that's there. You're trying to educate that consumer base. There's you, you're bringing innovation to the market, but it's not necessarily. I think sometimes the the idea is that you you come up with this amazing idea, you birth it into the world, and you just assume that it's going to get snapped up. But that doesn't sound like that. No, it wasn't. I mean, in, you know, we're in a very conservative area of Saskatchewan, but at the same time, we're also in a handshake community where you know, if you end up knowing a few people, there's a sense of trust. So there's, it, you know, it was um, it was a blessing and a curse at the exact same time, but it worked out extremely well. Um, so to go back a little bit at that time. Uh, it was, you know, the, the conversations I had was, he's like, well, 
here's here's how you purchase your ticket. You purchase it online, and and we'd get pushback in terms of, well, do you want me to put my credit card number on the internet? And so that, there was a real blocker when it came to that in terms of understanding. Now, common day is like, if it doesn't scan my credit card, I don't even want to put it in. Like, like now we need an even more convenient. Back then, it was like I am not doing this. Uh, so there was a sense of like, okay, is this a is this a scam? Is you know what's happening? And then you know, and then really you know, looking at marketplace on the other side, um, it's like, well, how do I get my ticket? It's like, well, your ticket actually comes to your 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 email. And back then there wasn't, uh, you know, there, there are flip forms back then. It comes to your email. And it's just like, what do you mean it comes to my email? It's like, yeah, it's an, it's an yeah, electric. Then I got to print it off. Well, that's what, and the thing was, is like, well, I like paper tickets. I was like, well, you can print it if you want. He's like, yeah, I have to print it myself, you know what I mean? Which was just really hard. And so like a lot of change behavior that need to come in, into place. Um, and which, you know, as we started to grow and we started to develop the product and in the world's evolved, um, you know, people, understood it and and then um you know it took off so tell me a little bit about you know for those early stages of you've got the site and you're going to shift to an online platform how did you test and validate and start to you know understand how the market was consuming those things because that's a whole process into itself and you're trying to manage your own enterprise right in terms of you you're trying to grow this this business and mm-hmm. so you're like cash flow is king you're trying to get this thing going but you you're you're trying to educate a market and see and test what works just tell me about the early days there. Of like, how did you, how did you understand if people were going to go for this? I mean, this is also interesting. You know, that when we uh, when we talk to clients about the idea of you know, creating new ventures or, or designing new products, right? I mean, business model canvas and stuff. It's all very theoretical, but it's not. I mean, you're describing being on the absolute front lines, and and and, and even to like extrapolate that on a little bit further as we started to grow inside. And I talked about their handshake communities. I'd give my cell phone, or everybody would have or my number. And the beautiful aspect of it is that they would just call me and they're like, "Jay, this is broken. Fix it." You know. And so those feedback loops were were because they, there's so many different ways that you can break something, or there's use cases, or you know, different ways to you know, consume product that we wouldn't we we you know we didn't have that user experience that created whatever outcome that they were looking for. Um, and so that feedback loop and that handshake community was was invaluable. As we grew, I wasn't getting a call from somebody in Victoria, Australia, telling me that their product or they had a little frustration with something, it would be a tweet. And then all of a sudden we'd have to go out there and fix it. So, it, you know, it was, it was, it was, it helped us really get our foundation in the formative days. Love it. Now, okay, so that's the early stages of getting traction. This is all happening in Saskatoon, but yeah. tell me a little bit about what it was like to then venture out of them and the challenges that come with that as you now develop product market fit, but now you're trying to scale. There's a whole bunch of different challenges that come with that. Yeah, I mean, but at that time, um, you got an opportunity to go out there and pitch. And one of the, the venture capitalists came up to Saskatchewan, heard it, and said, okay, you pitch. And this is how naive and green I was, I actually had a piece of paper on stage and I was doing my pitch because I did not even know what a pitch was, you know, to, and so like extremely green. Um, and I remember getting, I think it's a compliment, but the, the venture capitalist in the panel saying, I'm extremely, extremely impressed on how far you guys have come with how much you don't know. You know, and I was like, you know, even to this day, I laugh about it because I was just like, oh, I get it now. I was like, you know, you kind of came into this, landed backwards and you got, you know, entrepreneurial, there's a little bit of luck into it. Um, but, you know, we, we just grinded. 
And so that's when uh, we moved to San Francisco shortly after that. And then the world's changed. Just a little bit. I yeah. Imagine. Yeah. So, okay. Let's, let's talk about that a little bit. So you, you, you moved from Saskatchewan to San Francisco, completely different universe. Yeah. Now you're into a whole kind of other echelon. How did that change your idea of what entrepreneurship Man, did it change? Oh, what's your view? Yeah, 100%. I mean, listen, I mean, at that time, Alberta Venture Magazine listed me as one of the top 10 people to know in Saskatchewan to do business. So you really have this, if this big fish, small pond ideology, I'm not sure if that was, you know, if it, if it was warranted or not, but it's definitely a, a small fish when you go down to the, to the valley. And, and when we went down there, uh, a lot changed. It's just, you, you realize, and the, the way that I like to analogize this is that, you know, imagine, especially for Canadians, imagine being the best hockey player in Guatemala. And then you come up to Canada and the kids playing on the street are better than you. You know, you may have some raw talent, but they just got skills and moves that you have never seen. So as we went down there, you know, we, we, you know, in the Stanford posse, the PayPal mafia, you end up seeing how the ecosystem runs, the smartest of the smart, like, and there's a lot of humility, uh, that, that I need to get through in order to, co- to, to decide like, okay, am I going to, you know, put my tail between my legs and go back home? Or am I going to go out there and, you know, roll up my sleeves and, and learn the stuff that I don't know. And, you know, I have this really good story I'm happy to share with you is with the, one of the first networking events I went to is, um, is, you know, a whole bunch of CEOs and, and founders are, were around there. And I remember this vividly to this day is um, in Saskatchewan, what we do is we do a lot of small talk. You know, maybe it's a Canadian thing. How's the weather? How are things going? Yeah, you know what's what's happening, and it's just it's great. You know, it's and I and I like it, and I enjoy it, and and, and it, it it's 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 fine. Um, but when we're down there in, in these situations, I think like uh, you know a, a common thread that I found is is like you know how do we get to the point faster? How can I help you? It's not rude. Or it's not. It's not. You know. Um, it's it's not rude not to go out there and have all that preamble. Being around one of these networking events, I remember one of the CEOs bringing me to the side and just saying to me, so you're not ready. And I mean, at that time, I was like really offended and hurt by it. And and he's like, what do you mean? He's like, you're just not ready. You got to get it together. Right. And at the time, I did not know that he was doing me a favor. Like my my pitch need to be, I had to get straight to the point. We're not having a half an hour conversation of a backstory. He's just like, how can I help you? If I can't help you, I know somebody who can, you know what I mean? And let's keep on going in these, these environments. So there was just an ethos, a culture, um, and a way of working that was new to me. That also included the way that we, we raise capital and, and the cycling that happens in their business that, uh, uh, that I did not know at the time. That also speaks to, and to to pay you a column, right? That speaks to the uh, the sort of stick with it, stick with itness is the, the yeah. term, right? I mean, it takes a certain amount of moxie to be an entrepreneur in the first place, yeah. and now you're in this foreign world and trying to figure out how to swim in this new, you know, in this new environment, right? And uh, I think you know, nobody would have faulted you to say, well, you know, forget this. I'm going back to Saskatchewan. I'm going to see if they got an opening in the PE department, right? <laughs> um, but you know, you, you yeah. saw you saw it through, and now into this amazing new chapter. Well, and what it did teach me, and what I'm glad is like the biggest lessons out of that 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 I that I that I'm most proud of is that is my disassociation with comfort 
and my association to discomfort. And I realized my greatest growth, and it sounds cliche when you say it now, is that my greatest growth and the biggest leaps I've ever had was when I was most uncomfortable. Right. So now it's the flip side is that when I'm comfortable, I become uncomfortable. When I'm uncomfortable, it becomes comfortable because I know that this is just how the sausage is made. Right. Yeah. So let's, let's go, go down that rabbit hole a little bit. So, you know, in the, uh, in this time, uh, you're, you're gearing up this, the story starting to shift and the, the event bite acquisition is yeah. on the horizon, right? That's a different cultural kind of experience in terms of the, the size of the company and mm. the structure and all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, and as you're talking about comfort, I mean, we, we, well, we often talk about the idea of uh, like in a corporate culture, right? How comfortable are they with innovating, with pushing new product mm. and so on. So tell me a little bit about how, as that story shifts into this new phase, how did, did that sort of change for you in terms of how you're trying to operate inside these, the, this different organization, larger <laughs> More evolved kind of organization. Okay, so we're jumping a little bit yeah. here, but yeah, yeah, we're gonna, we're, yeah, we're we're jumping. So yeah. uh, I'm gonna tell you a little bit. Let me give you a backstory. Is that we created, you know, with, with Piketty, it grew, it grew, it became, it started to service the world. And our our way of doing things is is, is very similar to Eventbrite in terms of the service. It was service based, but what we did is we did something a little bit different. Is we created an API for for our product. So um, brands, developers. So we partnered with Airbnb. We're working on a, a relationship with with Facebook, and they would build on top of us so if think of it as like um you know uh, an iceberg the bottom of the iceberg we're there the top you build whatever the heck you want to so it really gave us and we used our consumer product as a you know a lead gen in order to go out there and create something that is you know more more defensible and has a has a bigger ltv and um and yeah, it brings in bigger revenue so um, and less churn. So that was the business. Then one day out of the blue, um, you know, our biggest rival and came and, and, and this is a unique spot. And, and first, I, you know, let me digress. Uh, Eventbrite is a phenomenal company. Their founder and CEO is, her name is Julia, is just absolutely an amazing, amazing person. And it's, and it's important when uh, you're exiting the company to find out where you're going to land because your team that is near and dear to you that if one have gone into war, you want to make sure that they're in an environment that's going to go and serve them well. So digress a little bit. They, you know, we had them just linked in us and that was it. You know, you think this is a sophisticated algorithmic process in right. terms of how acquisitions happen. So they, yeah, LinkedIn, just like, Hey, you know, Jay, I see what you're doing. You want to trade some notes? And next thing you know, we end up, um, you know, working through it. Uh, which is which is uh, a fun experience. Is a full contact sport there as well. Um, there is, you know, what I, what I did learn going through the whole entire process is that we have more in common than we don't. So as we start having dinners and we start talking about it, it's like, oh, we're trying to solve the same problems. We're we're, we're our minds are almost like in sync, uh, and so it worked really well uh, in terms of in terms of the acquisition and getting to the other side. Now, as we moved on and we got involved and we moved in, it's a completely different world as a small team comparatively we can move faster and more and more agile as a big team they can move a lot further and that's what we noticed but um it was definitely a lot slower right there's, there's one thing you brought up there which i want to just um, jump into real quick which is uh, that's actually news to me i didn't actually understand that 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 was the pivotic model where you kind of had this initial market entry point but that you were building infrastructure that's a different business model entirely right that you're allowing mm -hmm. companies to then leverage the stuff that's in your back end mm -hmm. um in a way 
So was was that architecture of how you changed the business from an innovation standpoint, as you think about business models and distribution and all that kind of stuff, was that intentional or did that evolve kind of organically? 100% evolve. Okay. 100% evolve in terms of market. I mean, when you take a look at your, your competitive landscape, Eventbrite had and still has one of the biggest footholds in terms of what we call the single sign-on model, you know, the consumer model that are putting on small events. Uh, and we knew that, you know, we're not going to be able to compete at that level with them. What we are able to do is we're able to go out there and, and, and look at this piece in terms of, okay, we see you know, innovation happening within companies and it's not just happening uh, on you know, in the boardroom anymore, it's happening within tech stacks. And the CTOs are now having a lot more decision power in terms of what comes within infrastructure. And it's like, okay, well, now we're leaning on towards uh, that that model and that, that you know, pulling on that string, if you will, is like, okay, there's a real opportunity to really come inside. Now, when we start getting involved in organizations and companies from an API standpoint and they start developing on top of us, we are now intertwined we are partners we're not just a service so that evolved um just out of the simple fact is like how can we distinguish and differentiate ourselves and also create more ltv less churn um and more enterprise value and and so that's how how we looked at it and it just evolves you know as you take a look at the competitive landscape you take a look at in terms of you know what people are doing and and stripe was our biggest partner at the time yeah and you know we were probably doing some of the big you know their biggest partner in canada at the time uh and we we really were inspired by what other apis were doing in terms of their modeling it's like okay evolution is happening and how do we want to be want to be part of this yeah i mean that's a fascinating evolution because it is a completely different business model you have to configure your company and the way that you the way that you're pushing uh you know your product updates and your product roadmap i mean yeah. it changes everything it does i mean and at the end of the day like i mean these are four four key kpis that i like to and i i, I really foundational in terms of how i think is cost of acquisition lifetime value churn average revenue per user you know, when I started taking a look at this and we looked at it in terms of like, okay, well, our CAC versus our LTV is if we have an in a top, top. Before you start throwing out acronyms for the, for the audience, you oh, maybe catching up. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Though, sorry. And I appreciate that. Thank you. So we had this big audience that are, that are using us and that's our top end of the funnel. And inside that big net, there's, you know, there's a whale in there. How do we create and be able to take that whale and service them to, you know, a greater extent. In this case, you know, if you're going to go out there and put a line out and you're trying to fish for that, for that whale, it might take you a year to 10 years. But, you know, if you have this big net, you know, we're probably going to catch a whale every cash we go, right? Which is going to be less time, less money, less effort and more revenue. And that's how the model that we put in together. Okay. Now we're really going to switch gears because yeah. you've entered this completely new chapter with Gunky, mm. right? A direct-to-consumer brand that yeah. you and your wife yeah, yeah. So tell us a little bit about that story because I, I saw that come up on LinkedIn. I thought, oh, this is way outside what I what how I know your story to be. So super interesting. Uh, started on kick. I don't want to take away the, all your thunder, but you know, started on Kickstarter three yeah. times over, subscribed. Yeah, around like big success story. So tell us a little bit about what drove that first of all, right? And then just the experience of going to a completely different industry and all the things you need to be thinking about. Is mm-hmm. I mean, feels like from the outside, feels like a hard. A hard pivot, really mm-hmm. interesting, but mm-hmm. you know, you, you better learn a whole new lingo language, or do you? Yeah, I'm a lifelong learner. I liked it, but it's an interesting, I to me, anyways, an interesting story. But I'll, I'll back up a little bit. 
one of the forcing functions of COVID was an opportunity, and I think for myself and the rest of the world, is just to slow down, to to take a breath, and to really evaluate life. And at that moment in time, uh, you know, as post exit, I had an opportunity to come, and and I and I shed modesty um, in in this next next piece that I talk about. But I'm married up in a big way. My wife, her name's Nicole Palmer, uh, you know, three undergrads, a master. She's working on her doctorate, top 40 under 40, performance marketer. Like when I married up, when I married up in a big way, it's, it's, it's in a really big way. So, right. you know, an opportunity to like really see the business that she created. And it's an you know, amazing, fantastic, beautiful business. Um, but as I looked at her business, there's another thing that I, that came to aware is that it's in our household, it's called Friday movie popcorn night. Okay. And so what happened with that is that, Every Friday, we have a crumble popcorn or some pizza, and we watch Netflix. And it became the highlight of my life. And I realized that I probably missed ninety to ninety-five percent of them while I was running my company. Right. Right. So there's a few epiphanies that came through this whole entire process in terms of the fourteen function of COVID and slowing down. Is one is that my wife's a badass. And I hope I can say that. Um, and, and the second one is, and is I want to spend more time with my son and my wife. Right. So fast forward a little bit. Um, there's something that is, is it's really unique to say is that I love tongue scraping. Gunky is a tongue scraper, right? It's a, and it's a very Indo Canadian. It's been around for a thousand years. It's through the Ayurvedic system of medicine. So I grew up with tongue scrapers. And so this is a 20 year project. And, you know, as I was, uh, you know, a kid and we'd go on, you know, hockey trips or we'd be out on, on boys trip, I'd always tongue scrape and my friends would be like, what is that? And I'd show it to them because my mom would bring them from India and I'm like, oh, this is a tongue scraper. So every time she went back, they'd be like, Hey, can you get me one? So I was a tongue scraping dealer back 20 years ago, you know, and like they had these little flimsy, I got the goods. And so (laughs) we'd end up having, and it's a very, very, but as, as we evolved and, you know, bathrooms got a little nicer. My towels now match. I bought the electric toothbrush. I was like, I wanted to find a a beautiful tongue scraping, you know, a luxury one, if you will. Uh, There was nothing on the market. And I was like, Hey, listen, this is something that I want to, to, to bring to life. Now from the business aspect, there's a few things that I saw and I thought, and I was hedging around is I was looking at in terms of really being able to kind of see where, the dust would settle after COVID. I think that the distributed team model was going to be extremely big. I didn't really want to go out there and do bricks and mortar, built a big office with the yoga rooms and the nursing rooms and the views and all that. You know, I wanted to be able to go out there and effectively build a company that is dependent on internet only. Um, I believed in a model that was KPI dependent, right? Not time dependent, you know, so work within your flow zone. I see this model in terms of what I call returnship in terms of, you know, attracting mums back into the workplace. We, I saw an opportunity where my, my wife and her friends and a lot of her friends that are highly educated, uh, they, they come out of the workforce and they have all this education. And then what ends up happening is as their kids go to school, they don't want to give up pickups and, and, and drop off. So you have this massive talent, but they want to work on their own schedule. But now they also have a PhD in time management. So how do we bring these key pieces together in terms of creating enterprise value 
have something that has extreme product market fit, bring it into this world, um, and something that really does the next piece of the puzzle, which is create a for-purpose enterprise within shared value. So every gunky that is sold helps children with cleft lip and cleft palate. Goes back to my teaching background in terms of how can I create something sustainable that is bigger than me, right? And brings up all these aspects in terms of how I think business is going to evolve and change, right? With less, the least amount of bloat as possible, right? And so, and then how do we create and using marketplace? And then I didn't realize AI was going to be a major drive in terms of how it's going to disrupt and democratize the workforce. And I don't know exactly how it's going to do, but I know it is going to do it. But I just do know that that that's that's the part of the world that I'm leaning towards. And now, you know, we we have created, you know, a luxury tongue scraper that is now in over 50 countries around the world. It's been, you know, covered by the Vogue's and the GQ's and, and we are completely sold out of product repeatedly. Um, and it's just it's just a fun fun, fun company. And so that's what it is. And on top of that, I get to spend all the time with my wife and I got to drop off my son to school and I get to pick him up after school. Love it. We'll leave it there. Uh, thanks, hey, Mark. Thank, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah. This has been Mark Lowe with the Insiders Podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again.